I had some folks ask me to make sure I stayed within about 12 to 15 minutes. I just want to let you know that you got to get those memos to me a little bit earlier in the week. I, I really thought that Crosspoint liked the 30 to 45 minute range, so that's what I, that's what I prepared for. But anyway, um, we'll see where, it, see where it goes. I want to talk to you this morning about desires that divide us. Yet the hope that God brings in the midst of that, the grace that he brings. Before we get started, we're going to be in James chapter 4. But, but I want to just make some things clear um, from the beginning. This is, a, this is a harsh passage, and I didn't pick it because it was harsh. And I want that to be clear. I don't want, as I preach, you to be saying, wow, I know who he's talking to. That, that's not what this is about. I've walked through it verse by verse, and it says what it says. And so, wherever it lands, and I pray that it lands on you in some way, let it land. And don't be talking about someone else that needs to hear it. Okay? I just want to make that that clear from the beginning. I I didn't pick someone out and say they need to hear this. And so, let me look into someone else. All right? So, we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Just a little background on the book of James before we get started. James is written, most likely, by the brother of Jesus. Um, scholars try to say a lot of other Jameses, but it seems most likely it's the brother of Jesus. James is also probably written pretty early in the Christian faith, possibly one of the first letters ever written as far as the New Testament is concerned. Um, James, if James is written that early, he doesn't have a lot of Paul to read. Okay, So uh, Paul is much about justification through Christ and those things, and that's true, and James believes that, but James hasn't read Paul yet. That's hard for us to understand, but James hasn't read Paul, probably. Okay? And so, but what James does have is a lot of oral tradition that comes from Jesus. And so I want to show you a slide that they have this morning. If you have the ESV Study Bible, you've already seen this, but this is a slide that shows you um, James, the things that he's teaching, and then the things that come from Jesus, okay? So you have James, joy in the midst of trials. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, okay? Jesus has taught this same thing. Exhortation to be perfect in James 1. Jesus has taught this same thing. And you can keep going. Merciful, receive mercy, James 2 and Matthew 5, down at the bottom there. And I think there's another slide. And you keep, it, it, the list keeps going. And so what we have are these, these themes in James that James is gleaned from who? Jesus. James has gleaned from Jesus. And so that's what we're going to see also in James chapter 4, verse 1. Now, we're going to go ahead and read this if you want to stand with me, if you'll stand with me. Byron held me to it, so I have to. We're going to be reading James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Get this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
You can be seated. James's questions in the first two verses are addressed as emphatic imperatives. And so I wonder if you've ever been involved in one of those conversations, an argument that other people were having, and you're looking on at the argument, and you're just like, this is so ridiculous. Why are you having this argument? You just want to tell the people, look at yourselves. Listen to what you're saying. Have any of you ever been in an argument like that? Or on outside, probably we've all been in that argument. We're the ones having it and needing someone to say, you look at yourself. But that's what James is saying. These are rhetorical questions. The people know the answer. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Is it not this? Your passions. And so the first point this morning, there's only going to be two points. There are a lot of sub points, but I know you don't have the notes that I have. So the first point is, look at yourselves. Is, is there a fight going on in your life? Is there a quarrel going on in your life? Maybe it's a silent one. Maybe you're just not talking to someone anymore. You've just decided you're done with it. Have you considered that maybe you're the problem? What's going on in you is the real issue? James tells us what's going on with these people. It's in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. The problem is uncontrollable desires. This is throughout James. He, he says you murder. This, where do you think this came from? It's teaching of Jesus. Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell, to hell of fire. It's possible that James is not saying literally you're murdering, but he's saying probably what Jesus was saying, if you hate your brother, you murder him. However, it's also possible if we remember uh, Cain and Abel. What drove Cain to murder Abel? Jealousy. Simple jealousy. So the first problem they're having is they don't control their desires. The second problem they're having is their desires are selfish. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. I want to I summarize this, these first two verses in this way to help you. Landon always gives you those one-sentence summaries, and so I want to try and provide that for you this morning too. A war within us will create a war among us. That's what James has said. Listen to the words. What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? A war within us will cause a war among us. But if we conquer what's within us, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Is there a war within you? Are your passions winning? Another shout out to Landon, one of his favorite authors, John Owen. If you're not killing sin, then it's killing you. Selfishness is always going to be working in your life. It's always going to be trying to have its way. And if you're not trying to defeat it, it'll defeat you, and then it'll defeat us. The problem is your desires are selfish. Are you in the midst of a quarrel? Youth? Children? Maybe you call it a discussion in your family for the marriages out there. The problem could be you. Do you look to yourself? Next, why do you not have what you desire? First, James says, because you don't ask. Where do you think he got this from? 
Jesus in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will, be, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. James has also already said in the chapter 1, he says, what should you do if you lack wisdom? Ask who? Ask God. Referring back to the uncontrollable desires mentioned earlier, in this passage, it's in the context of these people kind of battling over who's wise among us. Who's, who's got control? Who leads among us? Who's the wisest person? They're, they might be battling for asking for leadership or, or, not, or trying to lead without asking for the gift of leadership. And so they're struggling with this and they're fighting about it. I wonder if one of the reasons that we don't have self-control in us is that we haven't asked God for self-control. Maybe one of the reasons that there's battle going on inside of us is because we haven't talked to God about it. Now we'll get to, in a second, whether desires in us are evil. But right here, James is just saying, you desire and you do not have. He doesn't say anything about the, that desire, the substance of it. He just says you desire and you don't have. You don't have because you do not ask. Maybe when our desires are nagging us, maybe when our desires become pests, maybe what God's trying to teach us is to pray. <laughs> Have we prayed about our desires? Maybe we haven't remembered that everything comes from God. Remember what James said in chapter 1? Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Why do you think James had to tell them not to be deceived? Because we easily forget. We don't go to God with our desires. We work for them ourselves. Also take note of the verse after this. In verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, Of his own will he, being God, brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James says that our trust that God will give us what we need, our trust that he will give us what we truly desire for his glory, is based in the fact that it was his will that we live. He gave us his own son. This is a paraphrase of Paul. If he gave us his own son, how will he not also give us everything? Last thing here, and we'll move on. I just want to ask you this personally. If you truly desire godliness, or if you at least trust that God's good, won't you just take your desires to God? Whatever that desire is, won't you just take it to Him and trust that as you ask Him, God in His ultimate wisdom and love for you considers what you've asked and, des and decides whether it's good for you to have it? If you just at least, just, just a little bit, trust that God's good, why don't you take your desires to Him? And He will, in His wisdom and in His love, He will decide whether it's good for you to have it or not. The problem is we don't take our desires to God. Students, is there a relationship that you're in, decisions you're trying to make, that you're having trouble over? Every little thing, take to God. Christmas is coming up. Our desire radar, I mean, it's shooting through the roof. Has there anybody thought about their Christmas list yet? I've seen about four Christmas lists, people, so far. One lady in the church got one from her kids, and she didn't even ask for it. <laughs> Have you prayed about what you desire? Are your desires controlled? 
your passions. Some of you may be asking, what about the things I just really want? I know these desires aren't good. What do you do with these? And James answers that question. He says in that same verse, verse 3, or, or yeah, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Like I said earlier, some of these people in this context are desiring to lead. They're desiring to have control. They have a false pretense for, for these gifts. So even if they ask God, give me wisdom, they don't desire to use it rightly. They may desire it to use it to lord over the people that they have among them. So they don't have a good, their motive is not good. Also, and I want to point this out, there's a passage in the Scriptures where God gives the people what they've been wanting. And it's not good for them. It's in Romans chapter 1. Now these people weren't praying, but they were seeking these things because they wanted them. And it finally says that God gives them over to their desires. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? You who are aware of Romans 1. Bad thing. Paul says that when God gave them over to their desires, it was God's part of God's wrath being poured out on them. So those of you who are praying for something and God hasn't given to you, and maybe it's a false motive, you know it's a bad motive, maybe you should praise God that God hasn't given you over to your selfish desire. And God, ask God to change your desire. Ask God to change your motive. But praise Him for not giving you over to your own sinful desires. When He does, it's not good. It's not beneficial to us. As James continues in this passage, he's going to bring out the reality of what these squabbles between these people really are. Now, I understand that squabbles are often a part of life. Amen? That we're going to get in conflict. We're going to get in arguments. But these particular squabbles between these people, James says, it's because your desires are at war within you, your passions are. And so as James continues, he's going to reveal what this is really about, what this really shows about these people, and what it possibly shows about us. He says in verse 4, you adulterous people, how would you like to be called that? He goes on, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, I want you to, this point is going to be called, remember the scriptures. You had, look at yourself, and your next point is, remember the scriptures. I'm going to show you why in just a second. But the sub-point here, and I want you to write this down, I want you to think about this. Friend of the world equals, just an equal sign, enemy of God. Friend of the world equals enemy of God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, what is James talking about when he says you've become friends of the world? Well, we can take from the book of James to know what he's talking about. Dead faith. James says you, you have faith, but you have no works. Faith without works is dead. If you have faith with no works, then you're just part of the world. You're no different. You're not a believer in Christ. Uncontrolled anger. Be slow to speak. Slow to listen. Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. And an old uncontrolled tongue. James talks about the water, fresh, fresh water and salt water. They can't really mix. And he says that out of the same mouth can't come blessing and cursing. We bless God and then we curse men. And he says, my brothers, this cannot be. And so I wonder if there is among us 
these type of attitudes where we talk to one another harshly or we just talk about, about one another harshly. I wonder if among us there's a desire to gain control over one another, to, have, to be leaders over the other. We desire to be wiser than the one beside us, but not for good reason, not out of love. If these things are among us, folks, we're friends with the world. And when we're friends with the world, he says, you're an adulterous people. This theme comes from the Old Testament. It's like the song we talked about earlier with Israel. But Israel has cheated on their one God, Yahweh. They've sought out other lovers. In the same way, we become adulterous people when we act like the world. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Next. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? Now, the point here is God is jealous. But before we get into the point, there are two problems with this verse. And I I didn't pick this intentionally so I could discuss this with you. This wasn't easy. But... The problem here is, what does this passage really say? A lot of your, pa- your translations are going to have kind of different things. How many people have ESV? Raise your hand if you have ESV. Okay, all right. H, uh, Holman Christian? Two. Good job. Good job, Byron. You're spreading it quickly. <laughs> all right. What, uh, NIV? Anybody? Okay, NIV. I think you have it down at the bottom. The problem here is, w- what's really the subject the ESV, he sa- says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He, supposed to be God, and then the spirit he has called to dwell in us, is this the Holy Spirit or is this man's spirit? That's the issue here. What, wh- who is it? Well, the translation that, that makes most sense in the context, uh, and I've got to give it to the Holman Christian. We may have five in here next week, but I've got to give it to the Holman Christian on this one. It makes more sense in the Holman Christian Fits the context better, and the translation works in the Greek. says, the spirit he calls to live in us yearns jealously. This is the Holy Spirit. The spirit he calls to live in us yearns jealously. So what does this mean? Where does it come from? The other problem with this verse is, where does it come from? James has said, do you suppose it's to no purpose? The scripture says, if you look at the reference there in your Bible, it probably tells you that it doesn't know where this comes from. We don't know where this verse actually comes from. But it could be another translation of the Old Testament that James is quoting here. But what we do know is this theme is found throughout Scripture. James, in Exodus 5, it says, God is a jealous God. He says, don't seek idols. Your God is a jealous God. Also in Romans 3.11, If this is man's spirit that it's talking about, it says there are none who seek after God. No, not one. And so the whole point of this verse is that God is a jealous God. And we get that from Exodus 20. God is a jealous God. We don't know exactly where it comes from, but we know that theme is there. So God is jealous. And that's where we get this idea. That's why the point is, look to the Scriptures. Remember the Scriptures. Because James bases his argument that friendship with the world equals enemy of God and the fact that God is a jealous God. You can't play both sides. So what James is saying is all these squabbles, all these passions and desires within you, what they reveal is that you don't know God and that you don't love Him. 
but that you love the world. We've got to call sin, we've got to call what's going on in us what it is. When we don't seek God, when we're seeking the world, we're becoming an enemy of Him. And so I would ask you in here, are there any of you who are trying to play the game? You can talk the talk, you can do all the religion stuff, you're here on Sunday mornings, you can fake it so well. But when it comes down to it, where are the desires in you? Do your passions war within you? Do you love God or do you love the world? Where is your heart? Next. The next verse says, He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The point here is God is just. But we have to redefine justice because we don't really understand that. When we think of justice, we think the God who takes vengeance on the wicked. The God who takes care of all those people who do evil. But what it says here, God's version of justice is, He gives more grace. He opposes the proud. The man who is wicked, who doesn't love God, who doesn't seek Him, who tries to live on his own, God opposes and God God resists. This is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. To the scorners, he is scornful. But towards the humble, he shows mercy. God's version of justice, his being just, is that he punishes those who do evil, but he gives grace to those who are humble, who will seek after him, and who will trust him. God, knowing the temptations of the world, gives grace to the man that celebrates his own weakness and trusts in him. James also refers to this. Chapter 1, Let the rich man boast in his humiliation, for like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. So, James instructs us, when you feel weak, you don't rejoice in your sin, but you rejoice in the fact that God is the one who gives you strength not to sin. God is the one that you trust. So, If we were to sum this message up, this whole passage, we started by talking about look at ourselves. When there are squabbles among us, when you're having an argument, maybe it's in your relationship with your husband, your wife, maybe it's in a relationship with your friends, maybe you're making a decision. But when there are problems among us, we need to look to ourselves, not just to the other person, thinking they're the issue. The people in this chapter, they took it out on the other people. They murdered They got angry at the other people and they couldn't control it. All the while, they were the problem. So the first point is look at yourself. Then we looked at, why do you don't have what you desire? Well, have you prayed? Whatever it is, have you gone to God? Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Then check your motive. How do you want to use what it is that you desire? What is your real motive? Have you asked God to change your heart? And then lastly, remember the Scriptures. If there's things going on in your life, there are squabbles that are going on, what does it reveal about who you really are? Are you really a child of God? Do you know Him? Maybe it reveals that you're not walking with God. So as we close, I want to close with this thought. Are you rejoicing in Christ in the midst of your weaknesses? Are you trusting Him in the midst of your weaknesses? 
It's His grace being made great in you. That's why James says here, God gives more grace. Because He knows the temptations of the world, but He gives more grace. It's towards us, who are, uh, towards those who are humble in heart. Towards those who are not arrogant and think they can do it on their own. Towards these, He will give grace. At the backdrop of everything that we say here at Crosspoint is what Byron sang about and what I quoted in James, that God gave us life. And He did this through Christ. And so even in this message, James didn't mention the word Jesus, the name Jesus a lot. But as we think about if there are quarrels among us, if there are troubles in the relationships that we have, the answer is always Christ. The songs that we sang this morning talked of peace, Emmanuel, God with us. If we want peace in our relationships, if we want peace to be among us, then what we need among us is Christ. And so I want to invite you this morning, if there's sin, there's squabbles, I want to invite you to pray. And if you don't know Christ, you can know Him, trust in Him. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much for Your grace for your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you heal our relationships, that you teach us how to walk with you in love towards other people. Lord, we pray that if there is sin in our hearts in the midst of our congregation today, Lord, that you would convict that, Father. Lord, we pray that if there are broken relationships this morning, people who are unwilling to go to another because of pride, Lord, we pray that you would break them this morning. Lord, that you would break down the barriers of sin, Father, that keep us from being faithful to you. That you would help the people here this morning to realize that if they're not going to those other people, if they're staying in those squabbles, then they're a friend of the world, not of you. Lord, that we would call sin what it is. Jesus, thank you that you reconcile us to you and to one another. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.